0: So we're going to go through um, the doctrine of God and I just want to tell you that I'm thrilled out of my mind going through um, this series. Um, we've done it. I did it uh, years ago and, um, and some of you are even part of about going through the process of uh, the different theologies and the different doctrines um, that are out there. So um, I love theology. I just want you guys to know that and uh, excited about teaching it and I will tell you that it's going to be taught kind of in the the seminary fashion. <laughs> I mean, just in a sense, is that I'll just assume that people know a lot, um, as we're going consistently, uh, consistently talk um, about about the doctrine, uh, about the doctrine of God. So it's going to be um, kind of a, I don't know what the word is, thicker, more meaty, more, um, 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 you know, um, more, uh, I guess, logical in in that regard, and prayerfully with that. Uh, we're not going to put people to sleep. So if you look at the first part on your notes, you'll see that uh, we're going to work through the nature of God, the work of God, the wisdom of God. And when we're talking about the nature of God, we're going to go specifically through the revelation. Uh, God gives us a revelation of his nature through creation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then we're also going to even bring up more of that uh, tomorrow. We're going to talk the nature of God is explained through incommunicable attributes well that sounds really boring but it's actually really really cool because incommunicable is not in common and what is not in common with God is incomprehensible (laughs) so in other words God says you know I'm eternal well I mean you can't communicate that. it's 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 incommunicatable even because it's it's so big, and so God is trying to describe is describing Himself through these incommunicable attributes that um, is beyond our mind, beyond our understanding. That don't even fit into our mind, and uh, so we're going to talk about those incommunicable attributes and just kind of a touch a uh, base on them, and then we're going to talk about the communicable attributes, um, which would be you know things that I understand. You know, God is now talking in in my, um, uh, in my vocabulary, and what I mean by that is God is what love. Oh my goodness, I, I understand that. God is omniscient. That is would be incommunicable. It's like, I don't understand that, but I understand attributes that God shares with me, which would be, which would be um, love, which would be grace, those attributes that are um, communicable. Then we're going to describe uh, through uh, Jesus'... God's nature is described through Theophanies, and then God's nature is revealed uh, through Jesus. But uh, just to go into um, this first one, God's nature is revealed through um, creation. Number one, creation gives us a glimpse of God's glory. Whenever somebody writes a book, you're gonna get a taste of what is in the author's mind. And what God has done is, God has written two different books. He's written the Bible, and he also written the book of nature. And if you take the Bible, and you take the book of nature, and you put them together, you know what's gonna happen? you're actually going to get an understanding of God that is pretty thick and pretty fun, pretty strong, pretty powerful. Charles Spurgeon says this, a book is an expression of the thoughts of the writer. The book of nature is an expression of the thoughts of God. We have God's terrible thoughts in thunder and lightning, God's loving thoughts in the sunshine and the balmy breeze. God's boundless, prudent, and careful thoughts in the waving harvest in the ripening meadow. We have God's brilliant thoughts in the wondrous scenes which are beheld for the mountaintop in the valley. And we have God's most sweet and pleasant thoughts of beauty in the little flowers that blossom at our feet. When you literally look at nature, God's thoughts are there. In fact, I was just to tell you, I'm just really attracted to it. (laughs) I just went hiking for a month. Why did I go hiking for a month? I go hiking for a month to worship. (laughs) I go hiking for a month to sing praise, to get to know God even more. I'm not worshiping creation. I'm worshiping the God that created it. And if you worship the God that created it, I will tell you, you will look at this world completely different than you do right now. If you look and say, God is the creator, your observation would be completely, completely and entirely different. And so I get out there just for the purpose of getting to know God. 2012, and I'm going to talk a lot about this, is that um, I ended up rafting the Grand Canyon. And the reason why I'm going to talk about it is because I have another permit to raft it in 2022, which would be next year. So I get to go on the same, the same trip next year. And uh, the Grand Canyon, just to kind of give you an explanation of what it's like, because I'm going to talk a lot about that just, in, um, uh, just throughout this sermon, is um, it's 16 days on the river. Um, it's 240 miles. So what you do is you drive down there and you put your rafts on the water and on your rafts you have all your hiking gear, or all your gear. You have all your, your food, you have all your sleeping gear. Y- you have everything that you have to survive for for a total of, of 16, 16 days. So you pack everything in and then you pack everything out. So you pack all your food in and then you even pack your waste out. So you have ammo cans that you use to make sure the waste is even packed out so there's no trace that is left um, behind, and on the Grand Canyon, you go into the heartbeat of the entire canyon. I mean, the most beautiful place you can possibly you can possibly go. It's so beautiful that they have a limit number of rafters that go in there. And so what they've done is they've built a list, and what you do is you have to apply to get on the waiting list if you want to raft the Grand Canyon. And what, what this is is that it's a, where you get a raft by yourself. You're not rafting with a guide. You just get a raft by yourself. You get to lead the trip. You get to run your own boats. It's all just you and whoever you want to go with you on this Grand Canyon. So um, I originally, in the late 90s, put myself on the list. And uh, it took me about 18 years to get to the top of the list because they want to limit it so much. So it's really hard to get a permit. And I got a permit in 2012 or 22 because... Um, we won the lottery. So in other words, they moved the list into a lottery, so we in the lottery and were allowed to go. But it's really hard to go because it's extremely, extremely beautiful. And I just want to give you um, just a, a real fast picture, and I'll give you a couple of uh, different slides. But uh, the time that I had um, on the Grand Canyon, why I enjoy it so much, is the morning when the sun rises. And here's a picture that is, that is on there. The morning the sun rises, I have my chair, and on my chair you'll see an ammo can, which is to protect my Bible from getting wet. And there's nothing more fun for me to sit in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and watch the sun rise and hit the mountains and then open up the word of God and reflect his beauty off the page of God as, a re- as the sun reflects off the mountains of where they're at. I will tell you that is it's an amazing um, experience. And it's what I'm addicted to. It's what I thrive to do. It's what I want to do. And if you look at Psalms 19:1 through two, you can look at creation the same way as it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanses, are declaring the works of his hand. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. It's literally speaking to you of what is in God's mind, what is in God's heart. It's just a statement of beauty, a statement of glory. Job says, but now ask the beast, and let them teach you. And the birds of the heavens, and let them tell you. Or speak to the earth, and let them teach you. And let the fish of the sea declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, and whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Now, fish do not speak to you. Um, and also, if you look at that passage, birds do not explain things to you. But they do tell us the amazingness and the beauty of the creator who created them. So they're not the ones speaking to you, but if you worship a God that carries grace, you worship a God that carries love, you carry majesty, and then you see the birds that are flying in the air, it's like, you know, God has just blessed me with a huge gift of even observing or watching. It just opens up our mind to the reality of who God is if you start using the two books, the Bible and creation as well. Charles Spurgeon says Christ's name cannot be forgotten, no. It is painted on the skies. it is written on the floods, the winds whisper it, the tempests howl it, the seas chant it, the stars shine it, the beasts low it, the thunders proclaim it. The earth shouts it, And the heaven, the heavens echo it. And when we're talking about heavens, we're going to talk about well, I'll, I'll mention that in a couple of seconds, in a couple of seconds. But when God created the world, what did he say afterward? He says, "It is what? It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. He does think it's beautiful, and it does describe a lot about his nature and who he is. Number two, creation gives us a glimpse of God's power. Now, the way that God describes himself and wants to give us a glimpse of his nature is that he has to speak in our language. And uh, the way um, God works is that if he's going to speak in our language, he's going to have to move to our vocabulary, and he's going to have to move to the understanding of our mind. God cannot just say, you know what? I'm powerful, and it'd be like, yeah, how powerful? Well, then you open up the Word and it says, well, I created with my voice. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're powerful. It gives an explanation of his power if he says it in the Word. I am powerful, but I'm not just going to say I'm powerful. You're going to live in this created world, and you can actually observe and see the power, just a glimpse, a tiny glimpse of the power that I have. And here's Psalms 29:3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The God of glory thunders. Have you ever been in a, a thunderstorm? I'll tell you the worst thunderstorm I have ever been in is um, I asked my wife to date me. I asked, the, she's my, not even my girlfriend. I asked Jody to dare, It was Jody Wilkinson. <laughs> at the time, to date me. And, uh, and right after I asked her to date me, um, uh, I freaked out. And I said, oh, did I make a wrong decision? <laughs> and so I went to the woods. It was the first time that I ever went hiking all by myself. And I went over to eastern Oregon, and I went up to the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And when I went up to the Eagle Cap Wilderness, I got caught in the, the biggest thunderstorm at the high elevation. And I will tell you, the thunder went through my body. In other words, you can feel it through your whole body. Not only your ears, you don't just hear it, you actually feel it when it was taking place. And then there was no wind, but then all of a sudden there's this whistling that you could hear coming, and then all of a sudden my tent would just like smash down to the ground as I was in my tent, like going, this is not good, and then it would come back up, and there was no wind at all, then I'd hear the thunder, and then I'd experience the wind. I will tell you that I was moved by it, absolutely moved by it. This verse right here says, that's just a tiny, tiny taste of my power. Just a, just a tiny, tiny, just a, just a glimpse. Remember how powerful I am. But you know when you're sitting under those thunderstorms? Yeah, you should realize who is controlling it and the power that it carries. Job says, listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heavens he lets it loose and is lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars, he thunders with a majestic voice, and he, has, he does not retain the lightning uh, when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot even comprehend. For the snow, he says, fall on the earth, and for the downpour and the rain be strong. Psalm 65, God established the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, they who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of his signs." Just another picture of the Grand Canyon, just because I like showing pictures of the mountains, that I just stand in awe of them, but what about the Creator who put them together? I was uh, um, rafted that canyon with a a professor from college, and he was a professor um, in, uh, um, he was actually a professor in uh, Arizona, And uh, he was a geologist. So he looked at everything from a different perspective. Billions and billions and billions and billions of years created this. And what created the canyon? The power of the water. (laughs) I looked at him (laughs) and it took a lot more power than that. What created the canyon? The power of God's voice, spoke it into being. It's going to be a lot more power than the other. And, and, and so in the process of, of worshiping the creator rather than coming up with a logical explanation of the power of water, I tell you that I believe I was more moved in the process of going through that canyon. Job 9.5 says, it is God who removes the mountains, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, Who commands the sun not to shine and sets a seal upon the stars, who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea who does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without numbers. Number three, creation gives us a taste of his beauty. Again, when an author writes a verse, it's what is in the the author's mind. And so when you look at um, the beauty that is out there, does it give us a statement of what the interests of God are? Does it give us a statement of the artistic ability of God? Psalms 104 says, God sends forth springs in the valley, they flow between the mountains. Now, next to being married and having children, I just want to explain to you, probably one of the best days of my life, and I will tell you that it was in the Grand Canyon. Um, as we were rafting down, I, I, I saw all the pictures of Havasu Falls, and I don't know if you guys know Havasu Falls, but it is... It is Um, a a falls that carries an absolute beauty. And the reason why it carries so much beauty is because of the color of the water. And I said, I'm gonna raft the Grand Canyon and I got Havasu Falls I wanna go to, I wanna make sure I get to it. Well, if you're in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, it's an eight mile hike up to Havasu Falls. And I told the people I'm going with, I said, I don't mean to be selfish, but you gotta give me the opportunity to make that hike up to Havasu and then hike eight miles, eight miles down. And, uh, and we looked at the map and says, well, if you're going to hike eight miles up and then eight miles down, we need to camp close. Well, there's no close camps. You know, you're traveling down the river. There's no close camps close to Havasu Falls. So the only one that is halfway close is a four mile, four miles away. In other words, four miles in the water to get to it. And it's called the ledge. So it's not a very com- comfortable campground. I said, okay, let's camp at the ledge because you gotta let me go up Havasu Falls, uh, get to Havasu Falls. So uh, sure enough, we, we rafted and it was their, their priority to make sure that we camped on the ledge so I could have the time to hike to Havasu. And so we ended up camping um, on the ledge and then I set out in the morning by myself uh, before the sun rose, got on my raft and I did the five hour or the five miles, four or five miles down to the, the bottom of Havasu Falls. And then the sun was up by the time I got there And then I started to walk up this canyon. I was the only one on the planet that was walking um, up this canyon. That's why I loved it so much. And after I read, they did say that, be aware of the rattlesnakes because they are extremely populated. So I guess I wasn't by myself completely, but I didn't see the rattlesnakes that were there. But here's this hike up of Havasu Falls. And here I'll show you some pictures. And uh, just the sharpness of the canyon that took place. Here's another picture of the clearness um, of the water. And then as you're hiking up to Havasu Falls, um, you know, you're coming up from the end, so nobody actually hikes up here. Um, You're just, almost just like walking up, more um, boulder hopping up the stream. But then you walk onto other falls, and here's Beaver Falls before you get to Havasu Falls. And then all of a sudden you move up into Moon Falls before you get to Havasu Falls. And then you get to the top of Habesu, and this is what Habesu, Habesu, uh looks like. So I would just tell you that it was an experience, and the reason why it's such an experience is because Psalms 104 says, God sends four springs in the valley. They flow between the mountains. And then Psalm 65 says, God makes the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. See, God wants his nature to shine. He wants his nature to shine, And we can't discard his other book, (laughs) which would be creation. You can't discard it. No, you've got to take the Bible and the same thing that he does and put it together and say, when you see creation, worship the creator. Worship the creator. You're not going to worship creation at all. And God is not inside of creation. You're worshiping God, but God wants his nature to be revealed. And the streams here are shouting it. Job 26.9 says, God obscures the face of the full moon, and it's spread, his clouds over it. God has increased a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. Show you a couple um, other pictures. He obscures the face of the full moon, and God spreads his clouds over it. He's inscribed a circle. I'm sorry, I go ahead and show those pictures. And then God has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. He's just saying, look at it and give me the praise. Look at it. Give me the glory. Look at it and see what I have done specifically for you. Enjoy it. But to see my hand at work in that process is what he's doing here. So let's go to the next point. Number four, creation gives us a glimpse of God's strength. There's a lot of information um, about um, God, the nature of God in the book of Job. And if you look at the book of Job, this is what the book of Job um, is about. It's about um, just really, really fast. It's about, I would just say, a deal with Satan. I mean, a conversation, with, not a deal, a conversation with Satan that, that said, God said with Satan, he says, you can have him, but don't kill that's what That's what he ended up saying. You can have him, but don't kill him. So Job went through a massive amount of suffering. And as he's going through a massive amount of suffering, he had one obsessive question. And the obsessive obsessive question was, was why? Why am I going through suffering? Why am I going through suffering? And then you have four different counselors that come to try to answer that question. Why am I going through this horrific suffering? Well, there's only one person that knows why Job was going through the suffering at that time. And who was that? It was God. He said specifically, Satan, you can have him, but do not kill him. And then all of a sudden, Satan moves and makes Job suffer. So we know very clear, very, very clear why Job is suffering. is because Satan has him. But they're trying to answer the question, why, 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 why? And that's what the whole book is about. Asking the question, why? But then when it gets to the end of the book, guess what happens? God gets the microphone. <laughs> He gets handed the mic. Now, if God was going to get the microphone, what do you think that he would do to Job? He would explain the answer, why? I mean, don't you think that he explained explain the answer why? But what's interesting is God has a microphone for two chapters, and he never tells Job why. Never tells him why, why he suffered. In fact, Job never even knew until he went to glory. We know why Job suffered because you know, we read the book at the beginning, and then we also read at the end. But why did not God not tell Job that the reason why he suffered is because Job wanted to tell him something else. Job wanted to tell, or God wanted to tell him something else. God wanted to tell Job, and he wants to tell anybody who reads a book about Job, is that you don't need a divine secretary. You need a God-sized God. And open up to a God-sized God and you open up your mind to a God-sized God, and you will see God-sized reasons. You will see God-sized plans. You will see a God, if you open up your eyes, you will see a God that carries power, a God that carries control, a God that carries glory, a God that carries love, a God that carries details. Just open up your mind to this. You don't need to know the answers, because if you see exactly who I am, you will, as we know, repent in dust and ashes and say, God, I don't need to know why. The reason why is because I just know exactly who you are. So during these two chapters, if you're going to do an exegesis on it to try to to find out what God looks like, because the nature of God is described, during these two chapters, God just pours out his nature. But remember, he cannot pour out his nature in a mind that is incapable of Of receiving it or incapable of comprehending it or incapable of understanding it unless God speaks in such a way to talk to these human beings in a way that they can understand it. So what does he do? He brings the earth into it as he's explaining his nature. He brings the world into it and says, all right, let me explain to you my size and I'm going to do it in the context where you can understand it. Two phenomenal chapters in the Bible. Look at this one. Job 38, 1 through 7 says, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? When God got the microphone, he just slammed those four counselors. (laughs) He says, They're idiots. They're stupid. They don't know anything. I know everything. So Job sit down, shut up, and now listen To me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set the measurements, since you know? Or who stretched out the line on it? On what were its beasts sunk? Or who laid in its cornerstones? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused dawn to know its place? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all these things. What do you think Job was going on in his mind? Oh my goodness, I haven't done any of that. And here God is showing his power, showing his glory, showing his, his beauty, showing his strength. And what's the process of happening to Job? conviction is starting to take place because he wants all these simple answers of what's going through life and God says I want you to have the big answer and that is my size you suffered but I have strength and I'm your God that's what you need to know in the process of your suffering as he's speaking to Job number five creation gives us a glimpse of God's eye for detail I just want to continue to go through these two chapters because they are so rich he says this, where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is it? it's place? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Where is the way that the light is divided or the east wind is scattered on the earth? Uh, God's getting a little um, <laughs> crazy, just to let you know. I mean, he's bringing up things that Joe never thought about before, things that have you ever entered the storehouse of the snow? What is he talking about? The storehouse of a snow is, is a flake with I don't know how many crystals because I don't even know how it's been studied. But a flake that causes us all these beauties that take place all inside this one flake. And the handiwork that is there is absolutely extreme and gorgeous. But we don't know because as soon as we try to open it, it starts, it, it starts to melt. But God's saying... <laughs> I know, (laughs) you know the snow, every single one? Yeah, you're impressed by the amount of them. Well, every single one is absolutely different. And every single corner inside is absolutely adjusted to my excellence even before it falls into the ground and makes these mountains packed full of snow. Job, you think you're so good, you think you're so powerful, you treat me like a secretary because you want to know what in the world's going on in this world, let me just tell you, Have you entered the storehouse of the snow? Just let you know, I have. (laughs) Is what he is communicating, and in this process of studying this, it's like God really does have an eye for detail in this world. Where is the way that the light is divided, or the east wind scattered on the earth? The light is divided. Have have any of us come to? How does this light is all divided as we're walking through as we're walking through this as we're walking through this earth? Well, God's all in control of it. Or how is the east wind scattered across the earth? I mean, east comes over to the ocean. Where does it come from? What's, what's driving it? What's, what's sending it? He's saying, I'm gonna, I've got all that in control. I've got an eye for detail, and I'm working things for my glory. Number six creation gives us a glimpse of God's authority. Continues with Job. Who has cleft a channel for the flood? What are you talking about clefting a channel for the flood? You know, when it rains and the snow melts, what happens? The waters, the waters go up, right? Correct. It just does. It's just, it's just the way it is. But don't worry, God has put walls around it for the waters to go up and the waters to go down, for the waters to go up, for the waters to go down. And as he's put all these walls, all these canyons, all these valleys together for the purpose of making sure that we don't flood every spring, because he's created it in such a way that, that that we don't. And he has put those specifically in place for our safety, for us. So he says the words. Who has to cleft the channels? Well, I cleft the channels in the walls so you don't flood all year, all year long. Yeah, those might breach, but if they breach, you're still out of my control. Or a way to the thunderbolts. A way to the thunderbolt. Have you ever seen a way to the thunderbolt? What takes place with a thunderbolt? It's designed to scatter, to scatter everywhere. There's no way to the thunderbolt except where God wants it to land, which is really interesting. So God has maybe a, a place that it's like, okay, in my sovereignty, a thunderbolt's going to hit there. Well, you're not going to be able to track the way to get there. <laughs> you don't know the way. But when you look at the scatter, does God, does God, he's explaining it right here. Can you lead forest constellations in its seasons and guide the bear with our satellites? <laughs> satellites is a a modern word that the NIV uses is kind of a weird word, but are you guiding the bears that are taking place out there? Um, when I was hiking, I came in contact with three bears in particular, and uh, uh, one bear um, uh, was more of a cub or, or a kid. And I was walking up the trail, and as I was walking up the trail, it was getting dark outside. And as it was getting dark, I'm like, you know, I want to get this water, and I was thirsty. I want to get this water before I have to put my headlamp on, um, and so hopefully I can get the water and get to camp so I don't even have to put my headlamp on, and I desperately needed the water because there was no water except this tiny little spring in this l- tiny little pool. So I was rushing up as fast as I could to get to that water. So sure enough, I looked at my phone because I'm following its app, and I'm almost getting close. I'm like, okay, here's where it's at, and it was down this little embankment, and as soon as I looked down the little embankment, a bear comes running up out of the, where the only spot of water was at. I'm like, oh, boy it's going to get dark, because I'm going to have to wait. And it's a cub. What else is going to come up out of there? What else is going to come up out of there? So I tell you, I was like, oh, great, here we go. So sure enough, he's so afraid, he gets up, and he runs and runs and runs and runs, and he doesn't stop. Well, I still didn't go down there. (laughs) I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and he kept on running, and then he kept on running, and I waited, and I waited, and I kept on looking to see if something else was going to come down there. And I thought, okay, I don't think anything else is going to come down there, because that one is now long, long gone. So I went down there to get that water and uh, it, was, it was really hard to get because it was underneath, there's a rock here and it came out of a spring here and the pool was there and the brush was there. So I went in there and I had to put my whole body over the rock and literally stand on my head to get up underneath to get the drip, the trickle that was coming. And so my feet were straight up in the air and my trickle was coming into my filter, and as my feet were straight up in the air, I was thinking, you know, I'm drinking out of the same thing that this bear was drinking out, and I hope mama doesn't come at this point because I'm completely vulnerable in this, 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 this position. You look at the bears. Yeah, the bears are, they have things directing them. God's not out of control. Satellites, I mean, look at this passage. You guide the bear with her satellites. Do you know the ordinances of the order of the heavens of the stars? Do you know or the ordinances? What is the word ordinances? It means the order. Do you understand the order of the stars? Now, we understand a little bit of the order of our galaxy. And the thing after understanding the, the order of our galaxy, we know that everything has to be completely and entirely in place for it to survive that if things are tilted any way whatsoever, we would fry, that our atmosphere would not live and would not survive. And we know a little bit about the orders of of our galaxy, just a tiny bit, but he's not talking about the galaxy. Do you know the order, the ordinances of the heavens? When he's referring to the heavens, there's three different heavens. He speaks of earth as a heaven. He speaks of the universe as a heaven. And then the third heaven, which Paul went to, in 1st or 2nd Corinthians 12 is the heavens of heavens which is where God is at and the answer is no we have no idea what the order of the galaxies are or what you are doing out there well what God is trying to do is trying to say Job, just open your eyes open your eyes and you will be able to understand a little bit of my nature And by observing this world and looking at the stars and understanding a glimpse of its size and that you, mankind, have not even come close to reaching the end of it, shouldn't you just be shocked and worship my name rather than say, well, someday we'll get to the end or maybe we'll come up with an explanation of what is going on and how we started in that. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, the stars, or fix their rule over the earth? Fix the rule over the earth. What would happen if they are one ounce out of order? All the stars, ones out out of order? Well, it come crashing down. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that the abundance of the water will cover? Will cover you. <laughs> um, I don't want to get into political issues or anything like that, but we do have something that t- is talked about climate change, and knowing that the atmospheric the things that we're doing on earth is changing our is uh, uh, changing our climate. Um, um, this passage here. says, can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover it or that it will not cover it? Do you control anything that gets dropped from above? If it comes dropped or if it doesn't come dropped, there is a massive amount of control that God is saying, I have. Maybe he's asking his people, you know, instead of Investing so much, we invest so much in the power and the beauty of prayer because no matter what takes place is under my control. It's under my power. It's under it's under my authority. And I'm telling you that you look at this earth and the authority that I have, it will happen if I want it or it won't if we won't. Maybe prayer is the biggest weight that you know we should put all of our energy, effort, dollars, or anything else into. I mean, as we're looking at passages like this. Can you send forth lightning that you may go and say to you, here we are? Seven, creation. Uh, I just want to make a statement on that. Is that. I just got pulled off the trail um, because of a wildfire that was, that was rushing the Caldera fire right near, right near Tahoe. And how has it started? It was, it was started by lightning. Lightning that, that we cannot control. Sometimes we go, well, I wish we could control it. No, we don't control it. We just fight it. <laughs> we, just, we, we just fight it. But God's saying, you fight it and you can't even touch it. But I literally control it. Number se- uh, seven, creation gives us a glimpse of God's, um, God's eye for brilliance. Just a really fast statement as I want to hurry a little bit more. Uh, Who has wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of its heavens? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? You know, we are fascinated by the mind. As we study the mind, oh my goodness, we've been fascinated. But we cannot duplicate it. And we're trying to duplicate it as hard and as fast as we can. And we're trying to build robots that are, that are smart enough for the mind. But you can't give a robot a conscience. You can't give a robot morals. You can't, you can't give the robot the discernment. So when, even when they're building these these robots that are supposed to go into war, you always have to have a soldier's mind that is behind it. Always have to have a soldier's mind because a mind carries a versatility that is so far beyond anything that we can even think about creating. Anything we can think about creating. Well, he's saying, I'm the one that came up with that. You guys, aren't, you guys think you're so smart. You can't, you can't come up with it as hard as you try. Number eight, creation gives us a glimpse of God's involvement in our lives. Do you know the time that the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months they fulfill? Or do you know the time they give birth? Who sent out the wild donkey free? And who lose the bonds of the swift swift donkey? I do have cows and I would say that I love God's structure of my cows. And the way I like the structure is that they have a nine-month period where they get pregnant, and then three months they can't get pregnant again. But after three months they can get pregnant. What is that? Twelve months. I want calves in the spring because if I have calves in the spring, I can sell them next spring when the market is hot. So what is the deal is I get a bull in there at a certain time directly after three months and it traveled for nine months. And then I get cows every single year on the exact same month. And then I keep them for a year and then sell them. Thank you, God. <laughs> you, you do great for my business that goes in the hole every year, <laughs> financially in the hole every year. I mean, but if you, if you think about it, did you guys organize that? <laughs> this is what he's saying to Job. Did you guys put that together? Do you guys think that all this stuff that's going really good for you guys is, is all not thought about? <laughs> It's not all organized. It's not all not structured in such a way that that can bless you. Number nine, creation gives us a glimpse of God's provision. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Can you bind the wild ox and furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you trust him? Because, uh, trust him because of his strength. Is it great and leave you? For, is he great and leaves you for labor? I mean, just think about that passage. The ox was given to you for a purpose. Open your eyes, is what he's trying to say. You have this ox that you use, and as a result, your fields are plowed. Do you think that this ox was happened by chance? Do you think that this ox happened accidentally? And even in this passage, he says, just, just look at the ox. And as you look at the ox, he functions perfect for you perfect. His psyche and his behavior is perfect for you. His power completely is designed for you. Do you see my provision? I put things in place that you will be taken care of. He moves on. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? It is by your understanding that the hawk soars and stretches uh, stretches out the wings towards uh, the south? It is it your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? What is he saying in this passage? In this passage, in, in, uh, um, well, I don't have the, the verse number, but when he starts talking about the horse, what are you saying? He's saying, the horse, are you the one that put it together for his might and for his strength? In other words, what does these horses do? They are designed to meet our needs. They are designed To meet our needs. They're designed to do what? They're designed to carry us. They're designed to travel into battle. And when you watch a John Wayne movie, what does he do? He takes his pistols as they're traveling into battle, and he puts them right by the ears, and then he shoots his pistols by the ears. But the psyche of the horse is trained, is built in such a way by God for the horse not to react because the horse knows what it needs to do for the human being. It needs to keep on going in the battle even if his ears are being blown out of socket or maybe even or even God created the ears in such a way that his ears are not even being hurt in the, this, this process. The horse carries a mite for battle. It carries a might for war. And then he says, do you clothe his neck with a mane? Well, what is his neck with a mane? He even gives you a handle <laughs> as we're looking at the horse. He gives you a handle and he also gives you a comfortable seat. And what's it doing? It's going in direction for your purpose in mine. For your purpose in mine. And he built it perfect for that. You know, I do have nine cows. And uh, with nine cows, um, I don't get on top of them and take them for a ride. (laughs) I, I, I just don't. Because I know what will happen. What is going to happen is if I get on top of my cows and I try to take it for the ride, their psyche has not been put in such a way like God did the horse for the purpose of my needs. They will say, "Get him off." instantly. So that's, just, that's, just that's just what the horse or, uh, is what the cow would say. And then you try to train a cow to allow you to ride him, and you can't train him, because he doesn't have a psyche inside of him to train him. The other thing is he doesn't have that beautiful cradle for your butt that God gives you in a horse. I mean, he gives us this beautiful cradle that your butt can sit to meet, you can be comfortable and meet your needs. So your butt's being taken care of just as your needs are being taken care of in regards to the horse. The cow does not provide that. Why? Because a cow is created to meet different needs that you have. The cow is created to give you milk, a whole different beast, created to give you milk so you can be fed, created to give you meat, so you can be fed. So all of a sudden he's giving you all these different animals, meeting all these different needs, and, and he's asking us, do you think this is by accident? Do you think this is by accident? I'm just explaining to you who I am. And won't you just open your eyes? Job, was speaking in this passage, Job, you think that you need all the answers. You don't need all the answers. You need to be behind a God who literally has all the answers. And if you'd open your eyes to a horse and to a cow and to a bull, you'd figure out that I'm giving you enough provisions that I'll probably provide for you when you go through your struggles as well. Communicating specifically to Job in that way. Number 10, creation gives us a glimpse of the dynamics of his being. I think God sometimes likes to have fun in Scripture. He says, Psalms 104 says this, God lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. God makes the clouds his chariot. God walks upon the wings of the wind. God makes the winds his messenger, his flaming fire, his ministers. He's just trying to give you an explanation of his, his, uh, his, his, um, his being of who he is and his involvement. I mean, you, what, you're hanging on the wings of the wind? I mean, you ever seen this, people just jump off cliffs? You've seen those guys that have those, those fly body suits are just jumping off and they're, and they're flying? Where do they get that? I mean, where, where do they get that, that desire? Well, they read Psalms 104. They say, if God does it and it's so awesome, maybe I should even try to do it. I mean, maybe that's not it. But still, God's saying, all this was created, and if you just look at my excitement for it, you'll see it. Nam 1 says, the clouds are the dust beneath God's feet. Love and creation gives us a taste of God's sense of humor. Sometimes God just takes his creation and says, let me just blow your mind for one second. He does this in Job. He says, God stretches out the north over empty space, and he hangs the earth on nothing. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you guys think you have it all figured out in your science. No, I just do it and I hang it on nothing. And it it just floats underneath my beauty and my hand and my design. When I was going down to the Grand Canyon, um, when we are driving there, you might have even seen this rock, but I just want to show you a picture of this rock. I just keep on looking at it and say, you know, this is, this is in, incapable. Let's see if they have that rock. There it is. This is just incapable. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. And uh, um, when we um, say, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out how everything works and design it in such a way and come up with all this science to make everything work absolutely perfect and I will absolutely know everything when we have this verse. Oh, I just hang it on nothing. <laughs> in other words, I just, I just do it. They come with all these formulas that you can't be able to create. I put it together and I make it happen. That's just what I do. Why aren't we all worshiping God? And instead what we do is we send our kids to college and pay a whole, whole bunch of money uh, to have our kids educated by the highest people in the in the entire nation and and what do they say everything 's just just an accident it 's all just floating it 's all there 's no purpose there 's no vision there 's no nothing god 's saying, "How could you teach that to kids? Open up the Bible and i 'm telling you what i 'm doing in regards to my nature. number twelve, creation gives us a glimpse of god 's size, numerous verses that you can read in regards To God's size, I just want to read the first one. Who measures the waters in the hallow of his hand? The hallow of his hand is the middle of the hand. Yeah, all the sea, you know, the earth is, majority of the earth is water. He goes, oh, that's just in the bottom of my hand. No big deal. And marked off the heavens by a span, calculated the dust. (laughs) He did what? He calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in balance and the hills in pair of the scales. God just saying, Job, open up your mind. You have all these issues, you have all these struggles, you have all these things going with, but the one thing that you have is you have a God-sized God. And if you just look at the world and go, oh my goodness, and he loves me, and he loves me. Number 13, creation gives us a glimpse of God's control. Proverbs 8, 29. When he set for the sea its boundaries so that the water would not transgress his commands. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, he what? Set the seas for his boundaries. What does he say? Those seas do not cross those boundaries. Why do the seas on this planet do not cross those boundaries? Because God set the sea and he set the boundary and said, do not cross. That's why. That's why they don't cross. I know we can come up with a thousand different explanations of, of why they're not going to cross and how much ice that is melted and, and if that ice melts then it will raise the sea and then all of a sudden the boundaries will all of a sudden cross but God's just saying you know, yeah, I know you got calculations up there I know you have calculations here, you have calculations here but what it really comes down to is no matter what happens it will only cross on my command. Job 26 God wraps up the waters in his clouds and the clouds and the clouds do not burst underneath them. You know that's a calculation that we do not, um, um, we haven't completely and entirely grasped, except the understanding that it's powerful. Is water weighs eight pounds? Well, when it rains, I'll tell you, you can have a massive flood that ruin, that that can destroy so much and wipe out so much. Where is that water coming from? Oh, it's just floating in the air. <laughs> it's just floating in the air. Is it, Wait a second, eight pounds per gallon. Oh, yeah, it's just floating in the air. Yeah, it's just, it's just wrapped up in this cloud. Yeah, I know it weighs billions and billions of pounds, but don't worry, God holds it up. <laughs> That's the explanation. Oh, yeah, don't worry. He, he'll, drop it when he wants, he'll drop it when he wants to drop it. It's all taken, it's all taken care of. And uh, why can't we give him credit? Why are we not going to him as his source when it's coming down as a little harder than it's supposed to? You know, instead, we don't. Why? Because we have to have all the answers. (laughs) You have to have all the answers. Science provides, I don't provide any of the answers, but but who cares? We'll take whatever whatever it comes down to. Every time God works, he works off a scientific formula for the purpose of us to study the scientific formula to understand the size that he is. How come it doesn't shock us into worship? How come every time we understand a scientific formula, it doesn't shock us into worship? on the God that has the detail that he has for the purpose of accomplishing his mission on this planet. It should shock all of us into worship. Instead, it's not according to the world. So the challenge today is as we're looking at the nature of God. It's just fall in love with him. Look at nature and fall in love with him because it's given an explanation of his nature. And uh, we can learn a lot um, from just looking at that and observing that. So we're going to have uh, plenty of time to ask questions. Um, I did not think that this would probably generate a lot of questions, but don't worry. We will definitely get into topics that would generate um, a lot of questions. And then I am out of time. So um, what we'll do is we won't ask questions this time, but uh, next week uh, we'll definitely give you guys some time for questions as we continue to try to understand the nature of God. Thank you guys for coming.